preached. And we desperately need to hear from you, God. We have hard hearts. We have cold hearts. And I pray that your word would be read and preached with the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would break through our hard hearts, that you would soften our hearts with your Holy Spirit, help us to understand what you're saying, and I pray that you would change our lives from it, that, it, that real change would happen in our, in our lives, driving around and in our living rooms and the, our interaction. I pray that you would change us by your word. And I pray that your word would have a great power here this morning. I pray that you would fill Mark and fill Pastor Mike with your Holy Spirit as the word is read and preached, that it would be preached with that power that only comes from your Holy Spirit. And uh, so we just ask and beg for, um, for, your, for your word to change us here this morning, that we would have understanding and life change from it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mr. Ernst. Reading from the book of Matthew 19, 16 through 30, page 824 in the Church Bibles. And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witnesses. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love man, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With With God, all things are possible. All things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones. Judging the twelve tribes of Israel, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and last will be first. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mark. It's the first time I've come into the pulpit following my son.
Did you know that there is a gospel way to eat Ben and Jerry's Coffee Heath Bar Crunch ice cream? Did you know that? There is a gospel. Someone, I got one yes over here. There is a gospel way to eat uh, this ice cream. I'm going to give you a picture of what goes on at our house a little bit and uh, explain to you uh, how this works or how this, how this doesn't work. About once a week, about once a week, I will go downstairs uh, from the living room upstairs and I will retrieve a pint of the best ice cream on the planet. And I will come back upstairs and sit down next to uh, my wife and we just have one a pint of ice cream and one spoon that goes back and forth uh, between the two of us. And the question is, uh, how am I going to share this ice cream? Okay, how is this going to work? And uh, the, there, there's a few dynamics here you need to be uh, aware of. Um, uh, wh- one of the dynamics is how much ice cream you get on the spoon uh, each time it gets up. Uh, another dynamic is how many uh, trips you make from the pint to your mouth, and then how long you hold the pint of ice cream before you pass it off to my wife. I'm seeing some, some smiles of, of resonance. Some of you know what's going on here. Um, so the, these variables determine who ends up eating the most ice cream. Now, before we get to the gospel way of eating the ice cream, if my sinful nature is prevailing, of course, what I want to do is eat the most ice cream. I want to satisfy myself. I want to eat absolutely as much as I can. So I do this uh, technique. Um, you kind of, um, the room is kind of dim. That's important. The, the, I do the, the massive spoonful tilt the head technique. So, so you get as much ice cream on the spoon as you can uh, while it's still in the container. But when it breaks the rim, the edge of the container, you kind of tilt your head. If my wife's over here sitting next to me as a screen, you use your head as a screen and just get it into the mouth really quickly. Um, and you do this as much as possible. And uh, there's one other part of this, that when I receive the ice cream from her, I kind of give this impression without doing it verbally that all of a sudden there's this massive space that has come about in the pint as it's come from her to me. So this is, this is the sinful desires prevailing uh, in eating Ben & Jerry's Coffee Heath Bar Crunch ice cream. Now, for the gospel way to eat Coffee Heath Bar Crunch ice cream, and I'm being serious with this, uh, there, there is a gospel element to everything that we do. We could, the gospel is to be worked out and lived out in everything that we do, including the way that we eat ice cream. And the gospel way to eat ice cream is to allow my wife to eat the ice cream that she wants. And because this is the best ice cream on the planet, uh, she wants to eat a lot of this ice cream. And so I just allow her graciously to eat lots of this ice cream. And whatever I get, I happen to get. And I'm joyful. And, and, I, and I'm happy. I eat a little bit here, but I'm just eager to give it back to her. This is the gospel way to eat Ben & Jerry's Coffee Heath Bar Crunch ice cream. And it is 
reflecting really uh, the heart of our God if we are eating ice cream or doing anything this way. Because at the heart of our, our God, at the heart of the gospel, is a gracious and generous God who has lavished his grace on me. He has lavished his grace on you if you are one of his children. And so that should be worked out in everything that we do in life. We should be asking God to help us to lavish his grace through us onto others that we would love others and show compassion and grace in whatever way it is, even if it happens to be eating uh, ice cream. Now, there's an important point I want to make about these two ways, and we're going to leave this ice cream in just a moment. Um, you enjoying looking at the picture up there? Uh, anybody, anybody hungry today? Maybe not ready for ice cream yet. But the reality is, when I am eating this ice cream, whether the, the sinful nature is prevailing and I'm just doing it all for myself and getting all the, that I can, or whether the gospel is prevailing and I'm seeking to be generous, I'm doing both things as a sinner. I'm doing both things as a sinner. If I'm eating the, the ice cream in a generous way and, and deferring to my wife, I'm just simply recognizing that I'm a sinner. And God's grace has enabled me to, uh, to defer to her and allow her to eat this, eat this ice cream. She's kind of smiling at me here. So I'm aware of my sin, and I repent of it by showing generosity. And this is one of the things that the parable in Matthew chapter 20 that Jesus tells um, it is hitting on. One of the things is Jesus invents this parable in chapter 20 and tells, he creates this parable and tells the disciples this parable about the vineyard owner and the various workers. One of the reasons that he's doing this is to let them, uh, let them know, that, to, to be aware of their sin and to be generous in the outworking of their lives. Now, before we get into this parable, um, before we get into this parable, we've got to back up a little bit to the passage that Mark has read. Jesus tells this parable of this vineyard owner and these various workers right after this encounter with the rich young ruler, uh, the passage of Scripture that Mark read. And this rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and he is clinging to his idol, which is material possessions and wealth. And Jesus has taught before, and he teaches in this episode, that you cannot serve both God and money. You have to choose one or the other. And the rich young ruler goes away sad because he has chosen money. He has outwardly, he has externally kept all of these commandments. But in his heart, what he loves, his functional God, his idol, is money and possessions. And so he goes away sad. But look at Peter's response. Hopefully you still have your Bibles open. Chapter 19. And look at Peter's response in verse 27. After Jesus has this saying about how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 27. Peter uh, boasts out, We have left everything to follow you, Lord. Just a few verses up, the Lord has asked the rich young ruler to leave everything that he has, to give away everything that he has. And now Peter is eager to say, hey, we've done that. We've done it. We dropped our nets. We've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? And it's out of this context that we're going to come into this parable. 
where Peter's heart is asking, what is there for us? Look at what we've done, God. We have left everything the apostles did. What is there now for us? And Peter's heart is really very similar to my heart and your heart. You know where I'm going? Uh, God, I have been faithful to you in working so hard to raise these kids as disciples of Jesus. And so certainly, God, you are going to turn them out in such and such a way. God, I have been serving you in the nursery or in the fours and fives for many, many weeks now. Certainly, things are going to go a certain way now in my life. I have been studying your word. I have been praying. We have left everything to follow you. Now what are you going to do for us? It's out of this context that we come into this parable in chapter 20. It's a context that is familiar to every one of our hearts. Because all of our hearts operate kind of from this principle of a works theology, of a merit theology. Here's what I'm going to do, God. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do this. And here's what I'm expecting. We don't say that part out loud, but we think that. And Jesus is saying something very different and wanting to communicate something very different to what Peter is thinking and the way that our hearts and minds work. And so we're going to get into chapter 20 now in this, in this parable uh, of the vineyard owner and the various workers. And I've got an outline, especially for you kids. You should have one of these. I think Joe or one of the ushers have passed these out. If you need one, just go ahead and throw your hands up, uh, kids especially. I made these outlines with you in mind. And the ushers will come by and, and pass those out. A parable is a story that Jesus has created, a simple story. This one's about a vineyard owner. A vineyard owner. It's about various workers, a simple story about economics and, and farming, but it has a more profound spiritual meaning. And so there's, there are things that represent spiritual things, simple things in the story that represent spiritual things. And I've got five of these lift, listed here on the outlines. And kids, we want you to be following along uh, with me today. And so you can uh, mention, uh, I, I'm going to mention these and you can fill them in in the blanks as we go. So here we go, chapter 20. And verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Let's pause here for just a moment and we'll fill out some of these blanks and talk about what is going on uh, in this parable. So the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who goes out early in the morning to hire men. So kids, uh, who do you think the landowner represents in this story? Who does the landowner represent? You can talk. You can speak. Come on, Mark. I heard you say it. God. 
Yes. Yeah, everybody's afraid, right? It's afraid in case, in case we get it wrong. Um, the landowner represents God in this story. And one of the things that we see uh, about God in this story, and kids, if you don't hear anything else today, I want, you to, I want you to get this. One of the things that we see about this landowner is that he goes out again and again and again to get these workers, to put them to work. Even though the day is going and uh, lots of work has been done, even, even up to the last hour, he's out there personally looking for workers. Uh, we see the heart of God here and how he loves people and how he goes after them. Even up until the last hour, he doesn't send his foremen or employees or others in this story, the vineyard owner. Uh, he doesn't send anyone else to do that. He does this work himself. So the landowner or the vineyard owner uh, is God. And then the vineyard uh, represents uh, any place where Christians do God's work. Any place where Christians do God's work. All right, that's beautiful. I need to back up my computer. Not everybody knows that. Some of you didn't see on the screen. Thank you, Mark. We always get, we always get some fun things going, going on here. That should just go away, right? All right. So the vineyard is any place where Christians do God's work. Another way to under, understand the vineyard. All right. All right. Leroy was praying I wouldn't be embarrassed today. So I'm glad, that, I'm glad that that picture came up and not maybe some other uh, pictures. Um, just go over to the dock there. Uh, just go over there to the dock, Mark, and click on uh, Keynote down at the bottom there. There we go. Is that not happening? Should I run back there? If you, if you uh, maybe just click on uh, the very top one is what we're going to click on that. Double click on that. Gee whiz. Look at all this stuff. Cancel and play. Yeah, 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 yeah. You want me to come back there? All right, I'm going to keep talking. All right, so kids, the vineyard... The vineyard owner, or um, I've already said what the, what the vineyard is, representing the places where we do uh, God's work. I'm going to try to keep talking. We'll go with this. Keep and play. All right. So, so um, hey, Michael, will you hop on the computer? Michael James, will you just stay there, and I'll just, you can forward them there, Okay. Um, All right, so the vineyard is any place where Christians do God's work or the kingdom of God. And so any place where Christians do uh, God's work, kids, as we go to school, uh, obviously we go to school to learn, but we also go to school uh, to do God's work, to love our neighbors, to love our classmates. And so when we go to school, that's a place where we are establishing the kingdom of God, where we are, where we are honoring him, where we are working uh, in his vineyard. And this is true basically wherever we go. When we come to church, we, we are establishing the kingdom of God. We are working in his vineyard. One of our jobs here is to sing songs and praises uh, to him. So the vineyard represents any place where Christians do uh, God's work. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, so three, a denarius. The denarius represents here eternal life. And, and we're going to see in a moment that this is an important part of this parable. 
uh, notice that the denarius mentioned in verse 2 that the landowner represented, uh, who represents God in this story agrees to pay one denarius for the day to these first people that he hired early in the morning is what the NIV says in verse 1. And this would have been at 6 a.m. In those days, uh, a day laborer worked from 6 a.m. until about 6 p.m. So the, the deal was made, one denarius for these workers who begin at 6 a.m. But then the vineyard owner goes out again, as I've already mentioned. He goes out uh, about the third hour, which was at 9 a.m. And then he goes out again at noon. And then he goes out at about 3 p.m. And then uh, he goes out uh, at the 11th hour, which would be at 5 p.m. He finally goes out with just one hour left in the workday, and he hires his last workers to work the last hour uh, of the day. Let's come back to the text now, and we'll finish, uh, finish up this parable. We're at verse 9. So the workers who were hired first, or we're at verse 8, right? Yeah, we're at verse 8. Let's go to verse 8. When evening came... The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. That's a key part of the parable. Jesus has created this parable, and he has created it in such a way so that the people that are hired at 5 p.m. and only do one hour of work, that they are the ones uh, who are going to be paid first. So verse 9. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour came and each received a denarius. So when, those, so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious Because I am generous. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So just a few comments about the parable, and we'll get to these other blanks. Remember the context that I established right off, where Peter is saying, we've left everything to follow you. What are you going to have that's special for us, God? What are you going to do for us now? This parable is given in a response to that heart. Because the apostles, Peter and the others, are going to have to work in the hot sun, as it were. They are going to have to labor very hard in the kingdom of God. And guess what? There are going to be some other people that come along who don't virtually, they virtually don't do any labor for the kingdom of God. But they come to faith in Jesus. And they are justified by faith. Because our God is a gracious God. Because he is a generous God. And he gives the gift of eternal life not based on what you've done or how long you've worked or how hot it has been or how much of this grape harvest that you've brought in. But it is all of grace. It is all about grace. And he's sending them a message. 
He's sending the apostles a message and he's sending us a message that we ought not to have a heart that compares what this other guy didn't have to do and what I've had to do in order to follow you. It's a place where all of us go. So let's go to the next, next slide there, Michael. Thank you. Using all the Ernst boys here this morning. Number four, the 12-hour workers, okay? These are the ones that are hired in the first hour. They begin work at 6 a.m. They represent the apostles, and they also represent longtime Christians who endure while serving. They represent people who sacrifice a ton for the kingdom of God. Go to the next, next one, Michael, and the last blank uh, for you kids. The one-hour workers, those who were hired at 5 p.m. at the 11th hour, they had a 12-hour workday in those days. Six days a week they worked, 12 hours a day, day laborers. And so these one-hour workers represent those who believe late in life. And guess what? They receive the same grace that the apostles or those who come to faith early and struggle and serve in the heat of the day under persecution, under difficulty, under challenge. The thief on the cross comes to my mind here. He's, he's on that cross. John's there, right, at the, at the foot of the cross and, and, and others. John has already heard the message, or Peter rather, has already heard the message that he is going to suffer like Jesus. All of the apostles do die martyrs' deaths. And here's this guy who, who, who's done nothing for the kingdom. He's done something, obviously. He's on the cross, right? He's done a lot of things in life. But he's done nothing for the kingdom other than say some words from the cross that he's on. And he is going to be justified by his faith, just as Abraham was justified, just as Peter was justified, just as every one of the apostles are justified. And we should be rejoicing. And you apostles, if we go to the first century context, those apostles should be rejoicing. This is the message. This is kind of a preemptive sermon that Jesus is preaching to Peter and to the other apostles. This is where your heart should be. It should be rejoicing for anyone that comes to faith. Let's go to the next, next slide. A couple slides. One more, Michael. So one commentator, he summarizes this parable this way. He says, the principle in the world is that he who works the longest receives the most pay. I mean, we, we all get that if we just stop there on that sentence. We all get that when we read this parable. Jesus created this parable so that our, so we'd be somewhat offended. I mean, if we're running a vineyard, and one guy works 12 hours, and one guy works one hour, the, the, the guy who works 12 hours should get paid 12 times the amount of the guy that works one hour. That's the way the world works. This is how merit, this is how fairness works. This is, this, this is how economics work. Jesus is saying, my kingdom doesn't work that way. I am a gracious king. And I show love even at the 11th hour. And we need to be rejoicing at those, those who are saved at the 11th hour. So that is just, this commentator says, coming back to, to his words. But in the kingdom of God, the principles of merit and ability may be set aside so that grace can prevail. This is a parable about the grace of God. 
It's a parable that, that wants the reader, God wants you and I as we read this parable, to search our hearts and to ask ourselves if we are prone to grumbling, if we are prone to complaining about uh, this, this theology of merit that sometimes come out, that comes out in our minds and hearts, are we, are we grumbling about what he has allowed in our lives? He hasn't allowed the same things and, and he hasn't, uh, in my life, in your life, and he hasn't allowed the same circumstances here in these workers' lives. Some of them suffer and work really hard. And some of them barely work at all. But God's grace is shown to every one of them. It's a beautiful picture of the gospel that we have here. I want us to look, um, I want us to look at verses 12 and 13 uh, a little bit more. Let's go and look at verses 12 and 13. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. There is grumbling that is going on here. This is a parable of prevention. It is designed to prevent, in part, one of the things it's designed to do is to prevent the grumbling in our hearts that we would have toward the Lord that we often don't say out loud. Uh, This same truth is in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things. Yeah. We laugh at that. Uh, All things, Lord? Certainly not every single thing. Certainly some areas where I can grumble or where I can complain, right? That's the hard part of this this challenge is doing all things without grumbling or disputing. But the the good news of the Gospel, the, the power of the Gospel, is that even when terrible things happen to us, God is able to see us through and to give us hearts of, of, of contentment. And to give us hearts that rejoice when we see others who, who maybe aren't suffering, who haven't been in the sun as long as we have, haven't had weather like we had last week. But we can still rejoice at their situation. How are you doing in the grumbling category? And if you're like me, you're, you're like a, a, an older brother, the, the older brother in the, in the parable of the, of the two sons, of the prodigal son. Um, the, the, those of us who've been walking with the Lord for some time, we're, we're probably not grumbling a lot out loud, right? We, we grumble in more sophisticated ways, like yelling at my children instead of complaining to God. And that grumbling in my heart that I, that I wouldn't explicitly give out to God comes out in some other way. It, it just bursts out. So we've got to do some soul work to find out what is going on in our hearts and minds. The good news of the gospel is that we have the power to not grumble no matter what our situation, no matter how hot the sun, no matter how difficult it is. I want to tell you about this guy. Go ahead, Michael. Um, I want to tell you about this guy I came across uh, online this week named Jimmy Bain. Uh, Jimmy Bain uh, was arrested when he was 19 years old back in 1974. He was arrested for uh, kidnapping and abusing a child. He was wrongly arrested. 
He had absolutely nothing to do with the crime. He's put in prison in 1974. That's his mugshot there on the left. And he is released 35 years later at the age of 54. Spent all, most all of his life wrongly in prison. He comes out, he's done appeal and appeal, and they're all denied. And then finally, uh, some, some folks at the Innocent Project, these lawyers, uh, take on his case. And like the fifth or fourth appeal, they do DNA work, and they realize we've had the wrong guy. The state of Florida realizes we have had the wrong guy in prison for all of these years. It's a compelling story. And I watched what he said in 2009 when this picture on the right was taken um, outside the courthouse. And I want to share with you just a few seconds of what he says here. The first thing that he's asked is about cell phone usage, because cell phones didn't exist when he went in. And he had just gotten off the phone, the cell phone, with his his mother. And they're asking him if this is the first call that he's ever made on a cell phone. This is the beginning. Go ahead and go ahead and roll this. Was that the first time you used the cell phone call when you were talking to your mom? That is the first time. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. God loves you. <laughs> Appreciate that, miss. Thank you. Jamie, are you angry? No, I'm not angry, sir. Amen. Why not? I'm not. Because I got God in my hands. Amen. That's why I'm not Hallelujah. angry. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I knew one day he will reveal me. Amen. Jamie, do you feel that the state of Florida owes you anything else? No, sir. Him? No, sir. Not at all. Only God. Amen. I owe him. Amen. Jake, this means that the person who really committed this very heinous crime is still out there somewhere. Well, God will take care of him just as well as he took care of me. Amen. Very good. He's been in prison wrongly for 35 years. He He is asked by a reporter, if you could hear it, are you angry? He says no. I'm not angry. Why aren't you angry? He's not angry, he says, because I have God in my hands. I think that's a a colloquial expression that God has been at work in me. And I am close to the cross and close to the gospel. And the power of the gospel is seen in this man's smile and that he is not angry. That is a miracle. He is not upset that he has been in the sun working hard unjustly, unlike these folks in the parable who agreed to the work. He didn't agree to this. He was unjustly in prison. He's not angry. Does the state of Florida owe you anything? I don't know if you heard that. The reporter asked that question. No, sir. Only God. I owe God, he says, which we all do. We owe him. We can't repay him. We are not qualified or capable to repay him. But he loves us so much, instead of punishing us, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for you and for me. And so we owe him no matter what has happened in our life. 
whether we come to know him in the last hour, whether we have labored and toil in a just way here like these workers did, or whether something horrendous and unjust and terrible like what has happened to Jimmy Bain, the power of the gospel is bigger than any unjust thing that happens to you. No, sir. State of Florida doesn't owe me anything. I only owe God. Another woman reporter asks him about the guy who's still out there that they never caught. God will take care of him just as well as he took care of me. How do you sit in prison from 19 to 54 and say, God took care of me? Grace. He understands the gospel. He's not living from a merit-based works. Here's what I'm going to do, and here's what God is going to do. He is looking forward. And he is thanking God. And this is what he's looking for from you and from me, no matter where we are. None of us have had that kind of injustice in our lives. But across this room, there have been a variety of different types of laboring in the sun that have taken place. There have been a variety of trials and various degrees of pain. Jesus is saying to all of us that we, if we have repented of our sins and have trusted in Christ, we are each getting a denarius. We are each getting eternal life. And he's calling us to rejoice. And he's calling us not to be angry. And he's calling us not to grumble and not to complain, but to have a smile in our hearts, even in the hot sun, as uh, this guy has as he comes out, Jimmy B. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for grace. We thank you for your word that communicates grace to us. Lord, we want to confess to you again as we began the service. We want to confess our sophisticated ways of grumbling and complaining and expecting you to do certain things for us. because we've done certain things for you. Help us to leave that theology of works and merit behind. We pray, God, that you would help us to be repenting people, to be the kind of people, whether we're eating ice cream, whether we are enduring some terrible kind of suffering, or whether we are just doing the daily job that you've called us to do to provide for our families, that we would do so without grumbling, without complaining, without anger, and with gratitude that God will take care of us. He has already taken care of us in the most important way by sending Jesus. And Father, we thank you for that. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord together. We're going to praise him for sending Jesus to die for our sins.
My soul finds rest in God alone, my rock and my salvation, my fortress strong against my foes, and I will not be shaken. Though lips may bless and hearts may curse, and lies like arrows pierce me, I'll fix my heart on righteousness, I'll look to Him who hears me. Oh, praise Him, hallelujah, my delight and my reward. Everlasting, never failing, my Redeemer, my God. Find rest, my soul, in God alone, amid the world's temptation. Jesus, I will hide in you, who 
bore my condemnation, I find my refuge in your wounds, for there I find salvation. and waves would break me for in my weakness I have learned your strength will not forsake me That's true. oh Jesus I will hide in you the one who bears my burdens with faithful hands that cannot fail you'll bring me home to heaven Jesus, I will hide in you, the one who bears my burdens. With faithful hands that cannot fail, you'll bring